Every song I download has to pass a series of rigorous tests to answer one simple question. Is it a banger? How many beats per minute? How many drops? How dope are the drops? On Triple J with Tom Tilly. Yes! Oh, yeah. You know the feeling when you're on the dance floor, there's a breakdown in the music, you can feel the build-up coming, everyone around you is feeling the vibe, your heart is pumping, and then, boom, it happens. The DJ drops the bass. It can be such an amazing feeling, but have you ever wondered why it's an amazing feeling? Have you ever wondered what's actually going on in your brain? Well, a researcher at Melbourne Uni is studying the way our brain craves the drop and whether an addiction to bass could help us understand other addictions. Hacks Joe Lauder certainly has an addiction to bass and she met the researcher to find out why. Mm, drop! Bass drop! Bass Let's be honest, everybody loves a good bass drop. You know it's coming and then when it hits, it's so good. You can actually feel physical tension in your body if you're, you know, really paying attention. If we were to put, you know, physiological monitors on you, there would be a difference in your skin conductance and, you know, your heart rate and all those sorts of things while the drop is building. Kiralee Musgrove is doing her PhD at Melbourne University in music neuroscience, which is how music affects the brain. And she's specifically looking at bass drops. So how does science define a drop? It tends to follow the breakdown of the music and then the build-up. So the build-up is when the DJ or the music producer is adding layer upon layer of instrument. The rhythms are sounding like they're being compressed, the volume is going up, and we feel like there is this building tension in our bodies. And finally, you get to the point where the DJ drops the bass. The dance floor, like, everybody goes nuts. In these moments, the music is doing a lot of things to our brain. The music is different to other auditory stimuli, so it's not like language. Um, It's a little bit different and it tends to light up our brains in a different way. So music neuroscience is, is trying to understand why we process music differently and why it's this sort of whole brain phenomenon. And it's a bit of a mystery because normally the brain gets pleasure from stuff that humans need to do to survive. So like eating food or having sex, that's, you know, we get pleasure from those things for a reason. But with music, you know, it's quite curious. We're not actually all that sure why we should elicit pleasure from music. So it must be doing something good for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. While there have been studies done on pleasure and classical music, Kiralee's is the first on pleasure, cravings and electronic dance music. So we chose EDM because the structure is quite predictable. When we're craving the drop, when we're listening to the build-up, we crave it the most when we're not quite sure whether it's going to be good or not. So we think, you know, it could be amazing or it could be a complete flop. And that's when we, you know, crave the drop the most. The more we crave something, the more pleasure we get from it. Think about it like chocolate cake. You've been eyeing it off for hours and then you get to take a bite. Well, it's the same with a good drop. We think that music that can elicit really intense craving is then more likely to elicit pleasure when we hear the drop. That's the theory anyway. And so to test this theory, Kiralee's been teasing study participants with lots of epic drops. You know, for science. I love to dance, so things that make me feel something, uh, that's, I definitely respond to that. The dirtier the bass, the better. But yeah, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, 
house. I'm excited to see what the study can do to help people. These guys are sitting in a uni auditorium and they're listening to EDM songs through the build-up right to the point of the drop when the music cuts. And they're doing it 30 times and then each time answering questions about how they feel. Oh. <laughs> and you can see people that got their eyes closed, they're really getting into it, they're, you know, boffing away and then, you know, the music cuts out and you can see that they're frustrated or they laugh. So some of the questions that the participants have to fill out are things like, best case scenario, how satisfying could this drop be? And this is without them hearing the drop, so they're just um, predicting based on their expectations. How well do you know this song? And the question, how compelled do you feel to hear the drop? I just felt very awkward, actually, because <laughs> I was, like, waiting for it, and then... <laughs> yeah, like, there's no resolution. No resolution, yeah. Oh, I found a good, little bit tough not being able to just... Hear a whole song. <laughs> it can be pretty frustrating. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, and that also highlights how much more I liked some of the tracks than others. The ones that I really wanted to hear the drop, that told me that it was a good song. But EDM, in this sense, is is that much more, I guess, driven by formula than, than other genres of electronic music. Now, you might be thinking, this is all pretty random and interesting. But what's the point? The body, or the brain rather, doesn't have a sensible mechanism to distinguish between musical craving and pleasure. And in craving um, and pleasure, we might elicit from food or drugs, for example. So people who have issues with cravings, like with drug addictions or eating disorders or even OCD, could ease their cravings by listening to some hectic drops. We might not be able to get rid of the acute craving states in these people, but we might be able to alleviate the, the craving to the point that then they can go and engage in therapy. Hack. Oh my gosh, I just want to be on a dance floor right now. Triple J. One of the EDM guinea pigs in PhD student Kiralee Musgrove's study talking to Joe Lauder on the text line. Adam from North Richmond says, drops are like an orgasm or eargasm. Jane Tazzy says, I'm not surprised. Song and dance are deeply rooted in our psyches. We all love to sing, to dance, to hear the bass. Someone else says, so it's Tom Tilly's first day back from holidays and Hack is already doing a story about bass. <laughs> it wasn't my idea, but it is an absolutely fascinating story. Let's find out more about the relationship between music and our brains. Professor Sarah Wilson is a specialist in that subject and she's actually the supervisor for that PhD we just heard about. She's the director of Music, Mind and Wellbeing at Melbourne Uni's School of Psychological Science. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. Do you love a big drop? Yeah, there's nothing better, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us more about it from a neuroscience point of view. What is actually going on in our brains when we hear a big dance music drop? So there's a part of the brain which hasn't had a lot of study to date. It's called the insula. And it brings together, we think, how we're feeling on the inside. So monitoring our heart rate now, breathing, much of that is below consciousness, combines it with our emotions and rising tension, and then brings together all of that, an emerging sense of consciousness of who we are in the moment. And we know that when we're in the moment of the drop, what we're craving is resolution of that rising sense of bodily and emotional tension. 
and so that's the model that this work is looking to explore in more detail. And we heard Kira Lee compare it to an addiction to drugs or to food. Is that because it's lighting up the same parts of the brain? Yeah, so we know that when we crave something, that that's the basis for addiction. You know, we want it and our mind keeps coming back to it. And this region of the brain is thought to be important in that it determines, it's part of a network of the brain called the salience network, and it determines what we feel is salient, that is what we're craving. And then it kind of interacts with those parts of the brain that drive what we call goal-directed behaviour, you know, that send us out in the world to get what we want or get what we crave. Um, and, and so music, we know we crave music, it provides a really nice model of craving in the healthy brain and we're hoping to understand that better and then potentially be able to use that to help people with disorders of craving or disorders of addiction and perhaps we can use music to help people get over disorders of addiction. You're listening to Professor Sarah Wilson. She's the director of the Music, Mind and Wellbeing Centre at Melbourne Uni in the Psychological Sciences area. And we're talking about, I guess, this fascinating link between dance music and addiction, and whether an addiction to bass could cure other addictions, which is what they're researching at Melbourne Uni. Sarah, could dance music actually be a bad thing for drug use. I mean, some people, when they hear dance music, um, get these sort of waves of euphoric memories of, of taking drugs to that music or that kind of music in the past and hearing it again makes them want to do more drugs. I mean, could it be a bad thing? Well, I guess anything can be bad or good depending on how you use it and music's no different from that. And there is some research showing that um, if you have been um, a drug user, that there's certain types of music that will help you stay clean and or make it more likely for you to start taking that drug again if, in fact, you've been off the drug. I guess, though, the point of this study is to understand the mechanism of the craving. So we're really trying to understand the neurobiology that underpins that. And by understanding that, then hopefully we can lead to better treatments that will help people um, with substance dis uh, disorders and other kind of uh, addictions. Sarah, it's been really interesting to talk about this particular area of research, but are you aware or a part of other interesting, uh, I guess, examinations of the way music can impact our brains? Another major thing that we're really interested in is how music can change our brains and the benefits of music for our brain, not just for the musical parts of our brain, but for other functions of our brain. So for our memory, for example, or right. our attention or our creativity. So we've got a number of studies that are looking at what happens in the brain. And when we put someone in the scanner uh, and we play them music, what we see is that their whole brain lights up. So music is a really broad very powerful activator of the brain. And this has meant that some neuroscientists have said it's the food. It's been dubbed the food of neuroscience because depending on what network you want to study in the brain, well, put on a piece of music and you'll probably be able to see it working while that person is engaged in either active uh, music listening or playing music. Mm, interesting. I, I guess a lot of music producers would love to see that research and, and potentially use it to, to change their music in ways that really impacts people um, in really powerful ways. Fascinating, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Ack. 
on Triple J with Tom Tilly. Professor Sarah Wilson there talking about the impact of the big drop on your brain. And I asked her a question there about music producers, I guess, tapping into that research uh, to improve the way they make their music. And I have Nikki Nighttime in the studio who doesn't mind a bit of a drop. Do you actually think about music in this way when you're producing it, Nick? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I guess dance music in general like is, is quite formulaic, as you said before. And um, particularly in the EDM style of music, it is very extremely formulaic. But um, other sorts of dance music like traps, pretty formulaic. But to make it, like if you're doing deep house, you have to have a longer drop and then you drop into the beat after that. You know, it's all very formulaic, but it depends on what style you play, really. But you're still trying to surprise people, right? That's 100%. what it's all about. Yeah. So if it is formulaic, how do you find ways to surprise people? Well, that's the artistry, I think. <laughs> the artistry and trying to find ways to like have the drop and then it kind of explodes and then people go, like, the thing is, if, if they're going to like it or not, you'll see straight away on the dance floor. Yeah, right, okay. And, I mean, what do you feel like is going on for people in those moments? Oh, I don't know, internal <laughs> eargasms? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people, are, I guess, listening would be worrying about or wondering about... Um, the relationship between drugs and dance music uh, mm. and, you know, the researchers there were saying that it can essentially impact the brain in the same way. When you're making dance music, are you kind of catering for people that are taking drugs to it? I think I think when I make dance music, it's more of a nostalgic thing and when I'm in the club, I like, or when I'm playing the music out at my studio really loud, I kind of feel like I'm back in those environments where I had those euphoric kind of memories. And so I cater for that myself. Um, Does I that do, mean the music could make people want to take drugs again? I asked that question of the Well, yeah, well. obviously. I mean, I think you, if you're going to be kind of like everybody in any nightclub or festival is always going to be a certain amount of people are going to be high on drugs no matter what you do. Um, so, But I don't think that is the main goal of dance music. I think before there were drugs, people used to dance to music. Mm, yeah. All right, you're listening to Nikki Nighttime there. Nikki, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Pleasure, Tom. 